to What the Fertility Podcast. We are so excited today. We have Sarah Johnson on with us, and she's just going to walk through her journey with infertility with us, um, with miscarriage, chemical pregnancy, medicated cycle, ectopic pregnancy. She's going to kind of walk us through all of her journey. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm kind of like the triple crown winner of all the things, I guess. <laughs> I know that that intro is loaded. I I absolutely love it. And Sarah is um, someone that has a really big presence on Instagram and even TikTok, which like is so cool. Um, So we'll tag all of that stuff at the end of the episode, but we really wanted Sarah to just start out. um, If you don't mind sharing kind of, I know you and your husband were high school sweethearts, which Amanda and her husband are as well. So no way. Yeah. Yeah. So So both of you have walked that very, very long journey with the same partner. So if you don't mind, just kind of starting from the beginning. Yeah. So, um, my name is Sarah. Hello. Hi. For people that don't who know who I am, um, my husband, Cody, and I met when we were 15 in high school, said ninth grade. Very cute. Very cute. Um, and I don't think you walk into that thinking that you're meeting your forever person, but it just kind of <laughs> happened. We were together and that was, that was it. Um, of course, struggles you know, kind of came down the road. Um, definitely not anything worried about at that point. So we get lived through high school, you get through college. Um, we got married in 2015. Um, and that point you kind of life together and you're just full adults and trying to figure out the world together. We felt like we were taking on the world together. Um, and so for the first few years of our marriage, we were focused on um, our relationship and building our careers and traveling. We really wanted to um, go and do and see. We're both from small town South Carolina, so that's not something either of us really had an opportunity to do when we were younger. And we also kind of felt like we've waited so long for this point in our lives, and we you know, had been together for nine years before we got married, that we just... We weren't rushing to get to the next life stage. Um, Always knew we wanted children, but I was just not someone who felt in any hurry to get there. I just assumed that would be waiting for me whenever I was ready. Uh, And so let's see, we got to 2019. So we had been married for about four years um, and we the conversation kind of started coming up and it, it is, it wasn't even like we both felt like, okay, we're ready to just make this happen. I don't think at least in my experience that you ever feel ready, but you're just kind of like, Oh, I'm open to the idea. So maybe I'll go off my birth control. No, absolutely. Like for me too, I was like, Oh, you know, like, I know I want to have kids. I'm getting close to 30. I guess I should just rip the bandaid off and throw the birth control away. Exactly. And that 30, you know, 30 year mark just feels like such a milestone. Um, And I feel like our generation is just not in much of a rush, at least compared to previous generations. But then that age is creeping up a little bit. And we're like, well, okay, so um, 
I went off of my birth control in August of 2019. We weren't really tracking or, do, you know, t- doing anything crazy by that point. We were, we were so naive because we were both like, we're not going to be one of those people that does ovulation predictor kits or goes crazy with this. Like, it's going to happen when it's meant to happen and all that shit you tell yourself oh, right. <laughs> early so on. I feel like everyone goes into that thinking the same thing, like, oh, I'm not going to need it. And you're, yeah, you're right. We're all like so naive to it. And then we're like, oh crap, actually we can do all the things. <laughs> um, so we were just kind of being, I was just off of birth control and that, that was that. And um, for the first couple months and not really thinking too much into things and time goes by and nothing had really happened. And I wouldn't really say we were getting discouraged or anything. Um, but you start to feel like, are we are like, are we missing something here? I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're having, like, <laughs> yeah. Right. You see in movies and stuff, you're like your whole life, you've tried not to get pregnant and you're like, what the hell like this I've now tried and nothing's right. happening. Exactly. And the people in the movies are getting pregnant and they're not even trying. So what's yeah. the deal here? <laughs> Um, I'm like, we're having sex. What else is supposed to be happening? Uh, and so that, you know, kind of continued on. Um, and we got to the point of doing more research and then, oh, I am the chick that's buying the ovulation predictor kit mm-hmm. and trying going on. And, you know, I was like, let me cycle. Maybe I'm just not ovulating at the right time. And then that thing, um, that was kind of towards the last couple months of that first year. And we happened to notice that I was not getting any positive ovulation predictor kits at all. So I was insinuating. Yeah. So, um, yes. So that, that was kind of, you know, insinuating that I wasn't ovulating. And then you read conflicting things online, like the test can say one thing, but your body can be doing a different thing. Um, so again, we didn't think much into it. And by this point we were kind of buying our first house and busy and, time floats by and we get to that year mark where they say that you should, you know, see a doctor if nothing's happening. Um, so we do that. And by this point I was, this was July, June, 2020. Um, I was 29 and just all the signs kind of pointed to go back to the OBGYN. Um, she drew some hormone levels and blood work that they do kind of when you come to them with this complaint and everything was fine, but she said, you know, chronologist opinion, that's not the worst idea in the world. Um, and so the next month we had a consult with our reproductive endocrinologist here in Charlotte for the first time. Um, and she kind of took everything that we sent into, you know, these ovulation predictor kits are not barely because we're, we must not be catching the ovulation or something. Maybe I don't do them. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) she said people that hate ovulation predictor kits are the people that aren't ovulating. And I was like, oh, I feel like really dumb. Um, can they do tests? Yeah. Right. Couldn't, can they do blood tests to like catch your ovulation? Is that where you're going with this? <laughs> so they can, I think they will draw like a, a like 
cycle day 21 progesterone level or something along gotcha. that lines to confirm whether it's happening or not. Um, and, but based just on my, my OPKs and this was still 2020. So I think they were trying to limit office visits and all that nonsense yeah. too. Um, my doctor was like, let's just presume that you're not ovulating or it's just not very often. This is an easy fix. Let's go on to medicated cycles. Um, that ring, that statement rings in my head still to this day when she was like, you're not ovulating. This is an easy problem to fix. Right. <laughs> um, so it seemed really cut and dry to us. And I was like, cool, well, this just makes so much sense and had a good laugh because we felt like, oh, we just wasted a whole year and we didn't even have a chance in hell to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> That's so frustrating too. Cause you wish you would have just known right then and then been able to be on the medicated cycle like earlier that year. Right. And there was no indication that anything was wrong because, you know, I know people with like PCOS or other mm-hmm. issues deal with ambulatory cycles. Um, but we'll other than having kind of, kind of a, right. Other than yeah. having kind of erratic periods when I was a teenager, like I was still having somewhat regular cycles. I was still having periods. There was, I was not having pain issues. There was not anything to make me think that something was off until we were, trying to get pregnant and it wasn't happening yeah um and all my other testing came back fine and so she was like this you may just be one of these random people that your body just doesn't do this for no reason (laughs) it's Um, just like the worst thing to hear you know of course that's like your body just doesn't do it yeah that's so hard (laughs) so I get slapped with the unexplained infertility diagnosis um which is like somewhat frustrating because it's basically a non-answer yeah but we felt kind of rejuvenated um we thought okay this is easy the doctor said this is an easy fix we started medicated cycles which consisted of five days of clomid um and then an ovidril trigger injection right around ovulation to force my body to ovulate um And then we just did, some people will take these medications to start an IY cycle, but we kind of felt like the only problem was ovulation and we didn't have any indication that we absolutely needed to move to IUI. Um, So we would just do timed sex at home with medications. Um, My husband had also had workup because I know people Mm -hmm. tend to leave the mail out of it that that, like that could not possibly be a problem but they were really proactive with him too um and his sperm analysis was totally fine so with all that we just continued on with medicated cycles and thought thought this was just going to be a band-aid and I guess in a way it was because our very first medicated cycle in August of 2020 I got pregnant yeah so that's such like a mind I mean, you know, you're like, oh, this is it. It worked. Oh my gosh. I don't need anything else. Yeah. Wow. Yes. We, (laughs) we felt so triumphant and really just kind of like, oh, wow, that really was it. All you needed. Um, It it was was like a very anticlimactic, you know, after all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we were completely overjoyed. I was completely shocked when I saw 
the test that this could even be real. You know, by this point, I had taken many, 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 many pregnancy tests, could probably buy stock and first respond. We all can, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I had only seen negative tests, and here this was right in front of me, and I could not believe it. Um, But we were so excited and spent those, you know, first couple weeks just dreaming of the future and thinking that we were kind of finally past this and like, oh, this is our time and we're moving on and moving along and had a six week ultrasound scheduled with my reproductive endocrinologist um, a couple weeks after my positive test. And those weeks waiting were just really blissful, but really impatient, um, (laughs) just waiting for that ultrasound. And so we go in that day um, it's like carved into my memory at this point, but I, so I'm a healthcare worker. I work at the hospital that my, um, doctor's office was at. So for some reason I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to work and then I'll meet you there. And this is just going to be a really casual thing. And we're going to go on about our day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my husband and I get there and, um, we're sitting in, you know, in the waiting room and, you're kind of thinking that you're about to come up on this moment that your life is about to change. Um, you know, you've waited and, so long for. Mm-hmm. And our doctor gets in there with the ultrasound tech and they're looking around. And um, my husband, who just has to research everything, is like the restaurant review king before, before he <laughs> even gets to the restaurant, that kind of person. <laughs> That's how my husband is, but I'm so jealous of Cody. Like Sarah's husband, I feel like gets it. Like he totally gets it. And I want to get into that later, but I remember hearing this part of your story before. And I'm like, wow, my husband, like, didn't even know what was going to happen in the ultrasound. (laughs) He he probably knew more than me, but he, uh, so yeah, he had Googled pictures of six week ultrasounds and had shown them to me. And so I noticed that it. Um, so we both just kind of noticed that it didn't quite look like what we had seen. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor and the ultrasound tech are really quiet and looking around and we're really quiet and just sitting there and it's like, you knew what was coming, but it was coming in slow motion. And then you hear that statement that nobody wants to hear of, I'm sorry, but there's no heartbeat. Mm. Um, and we would kind of expect it at this time I feel like I was six weeks three days something around there yeah that six week three day ultrasound I feel like is always when they'll do that very first one and like they want you to they want to at least see the little flicker little flicker mm-hmm. yeah um and so it it felt like the floor had fallen out from under us um you know you wanted this for so long here you were and then in the blink of an eye it was just snatched away mm-hmm. and it's weird too going into a room and knowing that your life is about to change like you're either about to get the greatest news in the world or yeah. the most devastating news in the world and there is no in between yeah. I think I think you saying that is like so I, I kind of wanted that's what I was thinking in my head like you go into that ultrasound room and so now I know this is your very first pregnancy but like when we get down the line you've had a couple and you're going into that mm-hmm. room and you I mean for me I just play out like 
okay, like in an hour, I'm going to be scheduling a DNC or in an hour, I'm going to get a text everybody and be like, oh my gosh, there was a heartbeat. It's, yeah. it's so traumatic. It's such yes. an emotional roller coaster too. Like it is just all the ups and downs just through this in itself is just, gosh, it is not fun at all to go through. It really isn't. <laughs> It's nothing but a mind game and it's exhausting too. And we had, you know, we hadn't told anybody that I was pregnant at that point. Um, And and so like my mom had known that I was going to the doctor that morning, but she didn't know why. And we, I was at work and Cody had come to meet me. So then we drove home separately because I went back to work and was in hysterics <laughs> and they were like please go home sure. um, what did you drive like I, yeah that is like the question of the year I feel like I I have no idea <laughs> and like looking back it it does it doesn't even make sense into in either of our minds why Cody wasn't like leave the car here we'll go together but neither of us were even I mean, you're in a complete fog. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, you're in shock. You're like, it's this huge traumatic thing. So, if, and then yeah. they're asking you, what do you want to do? And you're like, that too. Yep. I'm being told that I, there's not a heartbeat. This isn't a viable pregnancy. And then immediately turning around and having to either make a decision or go home and think about it, think about next steps and what's about to happen to me. And I, I didn't know what was about to happen to me. I've never been through that before. Yeah. Um, so I had home, I call my mom and, and I think she thought that I had like a devastating diagnosis or something. Cause I was just sobbing and I couldn't even say it. Oh. And then finally did. Oh. Um, but those next few days were a fog and that was just it. I mean, it, you just really underestimate how devastating that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was one of the people before going through this, that I never said this to anyone, but thought when people had early losses, at least it was early because I kind of thought to myself that it made sense in my mind, you know, you don't, you don't have that connection or it's early and it hadn't even been that long and it must be easier to grieve or something. Yeah. But that's absolutely not true at all. No. And I think that's such a great point that you just made that because I know just friends and family who, yes, have not walked through this at all. And they think the exact same thing. They're like, well, I mean, thankfully you didn't go full term or, you know, you are so early on, you didn't have the ultrasound. So like, you know, you don't have that connection, but the minute that we see that positive pregnancy test, that's our baby. Like that connection is instantly there. So no matter how far along you are, if you go full term, if you go six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it may be, it's devastating at all times. So I think that's such a great point that you made that. Absolutely. And I, I like, I feel terrible that I even thought that, but I know that comes from a, a helpful place when you haven't been through this, but yeah. when you have been through this, you just realize like, each loss is so valid at any time point. And from the moment you get a positive pregnancy test, why would you assume anything other than this means I'm meeting this baby? Yeah. yeah. For, and you know, two weeks, 14 days is a long time to like, think that your dream is coming true, especially after infertility. Yes. Yes. And to imagine that future and realize that it's not, you know, going to come to fruition. That was mm-hmm. really, really hard for us. Um, and 
especially after kind of the whiplash of, well, we tried for a year. Oh, actually, I'm immediately pregnant with this treatment, and, and this was supposed to be our quick fix, and this was it. Um, and so we were grieving for a while, um, and that pregnancy ended up just in, or that miscarriage ended up being really hard to go through physically too um because i ended up taking cytotech to kind of help induce things mm -hmm. and move things along and it was a horrible experience and we ended up in the that er one night oh, <laughs> yeah i think anybody that's ever going to listen to our podcast i want to say we haven't released a few episodes but the word cytotech is going to haunt everybody i mean yeah. that like to this day my husband is like i will never ever ever let you do that again yeah Yes. Um, and I didn't realize this until recently that that same drug is sometimes used to induce labor. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I had no idea what to expect from my body, like or physically or even mentally and to make it through that and to make it through our ER visit and make it to the other side. We finally felt like we had gotten past something. Um, yeah. and then the mental aspect of it all set in and trying to process and validate my own feelings was kind of when I started sharing more online because I kind of thought, um, this is insane that people just do this and don't tell anyone and we're just mm -hmm. expected to move through this grief in silence. <laughs> Did you feel... I, I love that. That's That's when I first started sharing too. Did you feel like if you didn't tell people, like it changed me as a person. So I felt like I need to put this out there and be very real because like, I am not the same person I was three months ago. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, so I felt completely changed by that, you know, experience. And, and I think nobody going, everyone knows the you know, that a pregnancy could end in a miscarriage or loss. So that risk going into it, but you don't fully conceptualize the heaviness of that until like that veil is lifted. And then that is actually you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you don't think it's you, you don't think it's going to be you like, you know, it could be an option, but you never are like, it's going to actually happen to me. I feel like we all are right. like, Oh, it won't happen or it could happen, but not to me. Right. Absolutely. Or, oh, that's sad, but it's mm -hmm. different when you're having to move through that. And then to find some way to be hopeful again after that, you know, how, okay. how do I open myself up to potential heartbreak again, knowing good and well that I could possibly have to go through this again. again. Yep. Absolutely. So how did you guys move on? Because, so I'm assuming the whole pro process was like a month and a half, two months. And then were you like, okay, we got to go, we got to try again. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you kind of look to support and like the statistics and everything. And I realized um, too, which is not something I knew before this was happening to me, because I guess you don't go looking for this until it's <laughs> happening to you, but that uh, one in four pregnancies can, you know, end in a loss. And um, that gave me some, uh, I don't want this to come off the way, wrong way, but hope and validation because I realized it was so common, I guess. Yeah. I felt, I felt like, okay, you're not the only person in the world this has ever happened to like you're not special <laughs> in yeah. a way and yeah. and so this means that 
plenty of other women go on out there to have a perfectly healthy pregnancy and, and move past this. Um, this doesn't mean you're broken or damaged or your body's not going to be able to handle this or whatever. It, it just means it happened. And so, um, yeah, I think it was like a month or two-ish for, you know, everything to kind of get regulated again in that period to come back. And we felt well. We had success with the first medicated cycle. And so it obviously got my body doing what it needed to do. It just wasn't the right pregnancy. And let's just keep moving forward with medicated cycles because um, it obviously worked the first time. So that seemed like the logical, you know, next step. Yeah. Um, and so we started medicated cycles again, I think around October, November. And you're kind of like a hamster on a wheel because you call, you report your period, yeah. they get you on a schedule, you start taking Clomid and you go into the doctor's office um, and they do an ultrasound to check and see if there's a follicle growing. And then they say, okay, cool. We're close to ovulation. Here's your trigger shot. Go home, live your best life. Call us back in two weeks. <laughs> I didn't realize that's like so uh, many doctor's appointments with, I mean, maybe it's just a few, but like, gosh, you're being poked and prodded like every 28 days. Yeah. I mean, not to the degree of IVF or anything, but it was still just so much more of a regimen than just trying. And, um, we had a few failed cycles there where it seemed like I ovulated and everything happened, but I didn't get pregnant. So then you rinse, repeat that over and over and over. And it just starts to feel kind of change, Do they change any regimen? Like, is there different kinds of regimens for like medicated cycles or were you on the same exact type each month or how did that work for you? Yeah. So we, um, they can increase Clomid dose. And I was on the starting dose of Clomid 50 milligrams a day. So if they're seeing signs that you're not ovulating, then they can increase that. There are several other medications that they can use instead of that. If it seems like you're not responding, um, letrozole, Femara. Uh, and then I know some people use different trigger shot. I imagine it's different for, um, depending on your doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, given that we had had success the first cycle and it seemed like all signs were pointing to my body responding we were just kind of giving it time and I think my doctor said to like let's give it three cycles before we worry about move at, you know moving anything because the like when people talk about failed cycles we usually we see it as a fail if we're not getting pregnant but it's actually a fail if you're not ovulating the whole point is to get you ovulating to give you know to give you that chance but as we know, like we don't get pregnant every month that we're trying anyways. Um, and so we ended up just staying on the same dosage of medications and kind of waiting things out. And I think a few cycles went by and nothing was happening. And I mean, then we got to January. So my first miscarriage happened in September not even that long of an amount of time between the two um, time points, 
and we had had three failed cycles in between that time, but it felt like forever just given what had happened and how quickly the first pregnancy had happened. And I think too, when you have a loss, at least for me, I think, you know, I think it's either you're either all, all you want to do is get pregnant or you want to run away from it as much as possible. But like, once you've had that first miscarriage for me, that desire to get pregnant again was so high. Oh, it yes. Increased significantly. Yep. Yes. After seeing that first positive test, I felt like we were just chasing this so hard um, against all, you know, odds or stressors or whatever. You're like, this has happened before. It's going to happen again. It's going to, you know. Um, So January came and I believe that was our fourth, no, fifth medicated cycle. Um, we're on the same rigmarole and everything. And my 30th birthday was at the end of the month in late January. We had a trip to Charleston planned um, to celebrate. And the end of the cycle was kind of concluding around that time. And we took, I took a test um, one day and I don't even remember exactly like where in the cycle the day was. And it was negative. And it was a few days before we were leaving on this trip, a few days before my birthday. And we were just devastated just because we were getting so tired and so over this and starting to feel like maybe we need, you know, some kind of break or something. This, this is just starting to feel exhausting and getting to see negative tests over and over after seeing that positive so quickly, the first cycle, um, it was just very discouraging. <laughs> and so we just thought, whatever, we're just going to wait for the next cycle to start. We'll deal with this later, but we're going to go and have a nice weekend. And um, we were packing up to leave a couple of days after that to go to Charleston. And I had suddenly realized, and I was so obsessive to this point and meticulous. I don't know how this left my brain, but that my period was late. Um, <laughs> cause yeah. I mean, I'm here. I'm usually like, okay, down to the day it's coming, you know, on top of things. Especially getting negative each month. Oh, that is like, you're on it usually. Yeah. Yes. Um, And I was like, well, let me just take a test to get this out of my system before we leave. Um, And I, I, I was not expecting it to be positive. I was like, obviously it's negative and my period is just off this month, but I want to go, you know, drink some cocktails and have a good time on our weekend trip. So let's just put this behind us. And I took it and um, it was positive. So crazy. I'm sure that initial reaction to is like jaw dropping. Yes. And it was such a different experience than the first pregnancy too, because with the first, we like knew to the day that it was time to take a test and we looked at it together and had the, had that like special little moment. And yeah. I just happened to decide to take the test before the trip. And, you know, was in the bathroom by myself and picked it up and looked at it and was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Was Cody in the other room? Were you like, Cody? <laughs> He, I think he was downstairs and I texted him and it was so casual too. I was like, will you come upstairs and look at this? I'm just like so <laughs> ominous. <laughs> so different than the first time. Oh my goodness. It's, yeah. Like didn't tell him I was taking it or any, like he had no idea. I walked in the bathroom and I showed it to him and 
I said, do you see this or am I just crazy? And he said, no, this is a lime. <laughs> so, um, so then the like, let's go to Charleston and drink and eat our sorrows away trip turned into, oh, this is so special. Like it's kismet. Mm. I'm turning 30 and we finally got pregnant again. And like, we've gotten our rainbow after the storm and this is all just going to tie up like loose bookends and a beautiful story. And that's, you know, it. Um, and it ended up being a really special weekend. Like nonetheless, my, I had taken pregnancy tests with me because now at this point I had a loss before. So I knew better than to think that one test was just going to be it. (laughs) And so I was watching for the line to get darker and it was, and everything looked even better than the first pregnancy. And so we thought, okay, like this is, you know, really it. And so we had a special weekend, just kind of walking around and, um, reveling in that and, thought you know we've been through a lot but like here we are this is this is finally it this this is our time you know um and the road was rocky but it led us here um and then we were going to our parents on the way back because we we did it in high school so everybody lives kind of nearby so we're going to swing by on the way home to celebrate my birthday And after the first pregnancy and everything that had kind of unfolded in the way that I've processed with it, and everybody feels differently about this after a loss, but I kind of thought, um, you know, we want to be happy today because we want to be excited today because we know what it's like to have this taken away in an instant. And we want to acknowledge and celebrate this pregnancy. So this one was different than the first and that we told everybody right away. Because we kind of felt like at this point, I was super open about what we were dealing with. And so I was like, I know if this ends up in a loss, I'm going to tell people anyway. So um, (laughs) that I wanted support. And so everybody was excited and we had that moment. And we had about a good uh, 24 hours, really, (laughs) of uh, having a good time after that. And then I started bleeding. It was literally the scariest thing ever to see and it was like oh here is the rug being pulled out from under me again Mm -hmm. and when you've been in that place before and then you're returning there again it almost it's almost like those feelings kind of greet you as an old friend and you're not you know you're used to being here before and so I again walked out nonchalantly out of the bathroom and said to my husband in a way that sounds probably morbid but um well I guess this is it then (laughs) I can so relate like I can just so relate and then it's almost like you know the first one's like utter sadness and the second one is just so much anger yes and um we didn't know what was going on and at this point we had had two good rising betas and our clinic you know had said okay perfect ultrasound in a few weeks and we called them back they brought me in for another beta and this started a couple weeks of betas rising appropriately and then oh they're slowing down or this hasn't come up enough and then they'd stop and then they'd go back up and so it was just like a back and forth whiplash of oh yay oh no over yep. and over and over and over in that time I like the bleeding would come on and then it would go away and it would come back and then it would go away and I mean, we just didn't know what to think. Did you have an ultrasound or anything at this point, or is it still just too early? 
not to that point. It was early, but they had moved mine up. And then uh, I started just having other really strange symptoms that weren't didn't seem related to anything. My heart rate was going up really high on my Apple watch and I started feeling short of breath and all this weird stuff. I thought I had COVID. And um, oh, it's in the midst of all, this is all 2020. So this is this, like the beginning of COVID too. Oh my goodness. Yes. So this was like January, 2021. So, and so we're in that first winter after where there was a surge and everything. And um then I thought, well, maybe this is just pregnancy, you know, after loss anxiety, and I'm just assuming the worst, and I just need to calm down and, um, you know, take a beat. And it kept getting worse and worse. I finally got freaked out so much that I drove myself to the ER um, after work one day, and they did like a full workup and everything. And they were like, we don't know why this is happening to you, but we drew another pregnancy hormone level and now it's dropping from the last one that you had. Mm-hmm. And so we were just, and you're by so yourself confused. and you're by yourself at this point. I was by myself for half of the visit. Um, they had actually thought I had a blood clot in my lung. And so they wanted me to get a CT scan. And, but, and so at that point I was like, I need my husband here. I can't do this by myself anymore. So he was at least there for that conversation that, um, our hormone levels were dropping again. And so with that information, then they moved my ultrasound up to the next day because my doctor was finally like, let's just look around something weird is going on. And, um, I go into do the ultrasound. At this point, our COVID restrictions had changed. So with my first loss, my husband was able to be there for the ultrasound. With this pregnancy, he was not allowed to come in. So he was in the parking garage, like texting. And, um, you know, I thought like, oh, once we see a heartbeat or see what's going on, if if it's fine, because at this point I wasn't holding out, you know, that this was going to um, turn out to be our rainbow after the, all of the drama over the past few weeks. But I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I'll just turn on FaceTime and this will be fine and, um, start the ultrasound. And I mean, immediately it, it even looked different than the first loss. And my doctor was like, I'm sorry, I don't see a pregnancy in your uterus. Yep. So we're kind of going to just start looking around everywhere else and see what's going on. Um, and I was diagnosed with a left fallopian tube ectopic pregnancy. So Sarah, can they, I've always been curious about this. Can they actually see on the fallopian tube? Like, could, could you see it on the ultrasound or they just can't see it in the uterus? So they, they can make assumptions or, or were you able to see it? Um, so mine just kind of, cause it was still so early, just kind yeah. of looked like a, uh, a mass in my flipping tube. Like you could tell that there was swelling, Yes. but I know that some people who are diagnosed like later in pregnancy, you can actually see, um, like a gestational sac and, you know, things like that. Some people have experienced that topic and seen a heartbeat and known that, you know, it was an ectopic pregnancy and just on un- unfathomable circumstances 
And do you feel, and I, from what you've shared about Cody, like he sounds like me where it's just like research, research, research. And like, did you feel like, wow, okay. Another thing to add to the list, another thing to look up, another thing to worry about, another thing to just be like, okay, well now what's that topic? Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, Googling all the things when all this is happening, but everything was so strange with me and that hallmark topic sign that they tell you is, you know, one-sided pain and I was not having any pain at all. So I think that little glimmer of hope was Mm -hmm. just hanging in there and Mm -hmm. made me think, well, it it can't be that it just can't be. And it was. (laughs) My goodness. Um, It was January of 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then early February, I had a, um, I had surgery to remove the pregnancy as well as my left fallopian tube. Oh my gosh. That's just so devastating because it's like, okay, now I have X percent to get pregnant. And I've just said that like really casually, do they actually say the percentage goes down? I mean, I think you think like, okay, well I have two tubes, but is that even the case? Uh, so it does lower your, and I can't remember what the percentage is at this point, but it does lower like your percent chance, obviously, cause there's one less too, but, um, you know, my, after everything, my doctor assured us, like, as long as you're ovulating, you have one functioning tube, as long as everything else is clear and fine there, you know, you still have a chance at pregnancy. And she said there are rare cases where the ovary on the side that doesn't have a tube can ovulate and the other tube can pick it up. Um, yeah, I, I've heard that. And I think in my brain, I don't anatomically understand it, but I had heard that. No. <laughs> that is so interesting. I, I don't even understand yes. how that happens. Like I don't know how, how it works. <laughs> I know that's a, that's another thing too, through this process, I realized I don't know anything about my body or my own anatomy <laughs> or, or we're taught nothing because Literally. I was like, so it's like a vacuum. I don't understand, but um you know, so we moved through that and, um, that loss was so different because I had, and I felt so guilty about it, but I harbored so much anger towards it because there was a loss of a tube. There was more loss of like the innocence of what pregnancy could be for me. And I felt like it had just made it where, um, it just felt like another hurdle and, um, it, I also, everything happens so fast. It's like, you never made that connection. And part of that is just being too nervous to make a that connection. But the first loss just felt so much more like intimate and devastating where this one, it just felt like feelings that I'd felt, you know, one in the same before. And I just was so frustrated over the whole thing. Like why does this have to be this way? Absolutely. I remember like journaling like every day during my first pregnancy and like talking to the baby and then like the thing after it, I was just like, I couldn't even like make myself think I was pregnant, even though I still was telling my family and we were celebrating and we were so hopeful, but to your point, you're just so frustrated. And then you have to like, that the hardest part about miscarriage is you got to try. Most people want to try again because they, the end result yes. is easy. And so it's not like you go through this like horrific experience and you can package it away and deal with it and grieve. You have to jump right back into the same situation you just went through. Exactly. And at this point, I mean, we were just pedal to the metal moving forward. Like, um, 
I think I've said, you know, before now, reflecting back on that time, I felt like I absolutely was not processing what was happening to me during all I could think was, well, we have, we don't have any choice, but to move forward and um, was just very straight laced about it. And uh, Sarah, I'm going to ask you this, Sarah, just because it, we're just talking about it and we do like the Q and a with our Instagram followers. And so someone asked like, what kept you going? And so I think that's just like really important for you to kind of, if you could talk a little bit about, I know you just wanted to continue moving forward and just like keep trying, but was there anything that like, besides obviously the ultimate goal of getting pregnant, like, was there mm -hmm. anything that you like mentally were doing to help you just move forward or like, just keep going? I don't know. I just think people wanted to, to know about that. At that, at that point, um, yes and no. I don't feel like I was probably doing enough to nurture my mental health during that time, but I was trying my best to just keep perspective, I guess. Um, and at this point, like, so we decided to move to IVF after that loss. And so every new treatment or every change in what was going on to me felt like a new avenue and a new journey and a turn of the page and a chance to look at things differently. And so that helped move, me move forward. We were mentally just done with medicated cycles at that point. Yeah. Um, and so we looked to move to something else. Um, and I also was like trying to keep up with hobbies and keep the perspective of, yes, this is our goal and what we're working towards right now. But we have, you know, we're in a happy, loving relationship and we're going to hang on to the things that we enjoy. Um, we actually took a trip to Key West after that loss while we were waiting to start IVF to just continue like traveling and enjoying ourselves and trying to keep that in mind yeah but then at the end of the day that you know then you come home and you're still just stuck with these thoughts and just wondering like I just wanted to know how things were gonna turn out and there's just so much uncertainty in that you know <laughs> I love that you said that I was just reading something the other day where it's like if we could be told well in three and a half years you're gonna get pregnant everything's gonna go great you would be able to deal with and walk through the three and a half years like going on vacations. Hey, you know, you would, you would make yourself busy and you'd be like, I'm fine. It's just the yeah. unknown of infertility and loss that you're like, how many times am I going to have to go through this? Is it ever going to happen? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's different for everyone. And you speak to people, you know, sharing their stories or other stories who have gone on and had um, a baby or grown their family in other ways. And they say, you know, keep holding on, it's worth it. And I just was getting to a point of, I don't know that this is going to be me. Mm -hmm. Like, I know, I know that you feel this way in this perspective, but I, like, I'm not seeing it. I don't know what the future holds, you know? Well, especially because you have such a great marriage and, you know, you travel and you are very like lighthearted and fun. And when you go through so much loss, you start to chip away at that piece of your life. And you're like, man, is this really worth it? But then like, for me, it keeps coming down to, well, I don't want to be 50 years old sitting around a Christmas tree with just my husband and I, like, that's just my personal feeling. Yeah, right. So like, how do you balance all this amazing stuff you have versus this one thing that you want that you keep just getting it taken away from you a hundred percent and I just kept thinking like this can't be our whole everything but this is just this is where we are now and I don't know where we'll be in the future and that's all that we can do 
just, you know, for, make the decisions that we feel are right to us and explore those avenues and just see what happens. Absolutely. And, so at this point, you're like, all right, IVF, I'm doing it. Yes, um, I had lost a tube. And so those numbers were scaring me. I had no interest in going through another ectopic, understandably. Um, and the fear of I only have one tube left. And if something happens, this is done, you know, um, was so real. And we were just so beaten down and tired of loss. Um, and our doctor never presented that as this is your only hope kind of thing, but as this is what is statistically going to lower your risk of loss to as low as possible. You know, we're going to make some embryos and we're going to stick that embryo straight into your uterus and hopefully it would not migrate and become an ectopic and there would just be lower risk there and you can genetic test and lower your risk of another loss as low as possible. And so we thought, cool, this is, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I hear that's why we did it too. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was, I thought I'm, I'm done. I'm retired from medicated cycles. This is, this is it. I just, I don't want to roll the dice anymore. Mm. Um, and so we started uh, the kind of the workup for that. We took a break in March and went to Key West. And like I said, had a you know lovely trip and felt like we were resetting and refocusing and kind of coming back to ourselves a little bit because we weren't on this hamster wheel of medicated cycles anymore. <laughs> and we're just reveling in not spending the month at the doctor's office and um, gearing up for IVF. And in March, uh, of 2021, we started the workup for IVF. So they're going to draw your hormone again, and we're going to do a mock transfer um, and just do all these things to kind of prepare and optimize for success, you know, in your cycle and figure out what they need to do to um, make decisions about your medications. <laughs> and we thought that was just kind of going to be like, another off month and nothing was going to happen or go on because I'd had normal testing before and everything was fine. And so we just thought we were, we were going to be checking boxes and then we were moving on in April to our IVF cycle. Um, however, my hormone panel came back that they drew and my AMH was in the toilet. The, um, is this the second time you've had the AMH drawn or you're like, yes, this was the second time. So the very first time was with my OBGYN a year before when she referred me to my reproductive endocrinologist and she said, everything, you know, looks fine, but off you go to the RE. Yeah. Um, and I can't even remember what it was at that time, but it was within a normal range. And then my pre IVF AMH was 0 0.27, um, which that is, is crazy <laughs> low within a year or two, like that drastically dropped. Yes, um, which uh, for anybody that isn't super familiar, an AMH hormone, it kind of gives you an idea of egg reserve, so number of eggs, and that number more closely correlated with someone in their late 30s, early 40s. Wow. <laughs> um, so it's like another thing that you just got hit with. Exactly. Oh, and this is all so relatable. It's just like a right? I used to have like a journal and it was like blighted ovum, chemical. Like you would just add these terms, like these stupid yeah, yes. terms. And so now you're like diminished ovarian reserve. Exactly. Um, and 
it, gosh, that was, that was such a devastating day. We just walked around our neighborhood in a fog. It was like a warm spring day, um, you know, cause you're Googling all these things and wondering what this means. And yeah. um, I mean, who's going to feel that great about being told that their egg reserves closer to that of a 40 year old when they're 30, <laughs> you know, I was, I was feeling, I get it. <laughs> I got it too. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, I'm walking around in dramatics, like, oh my God, I'm 10 years older than I actually yeah. am. Like really body. Come on. Like <laughs> we're not this old. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it just felt like another thing to add to the list and where, you know, you're kind of thinking this, this started off so quote, quote, uncomplicated, let's just get you to ovulate and here it's like, we just keep uncovering crap. <laughs> especially with that, yeah, especially with like unexplained infertility, you're like, okay, but it's really starting to be explained people. Explained. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, my doctor reassured me and anybody that's dealt with DOR or low AMH has probably kind of heard all these things that again, if you're regularly ovulating, this doesn't mean anything other than we now know how to dose your medications better and we're for IVF. And we're also kind of thinking you're not going to get a lot of eggs out of IVF because people with DOR and low AMH tend to be poor responders to the medications that you take with IVF. Mm -hmm. So then we're walking into like the most, the big daddy of fertility treatment, the most intense thing that you can do, knowing that this could possibly be a complete bust. Yeah. <laughs> and having to psych yourself up and get excited over this, you know, um, to undertake all of this medication and go through these procedures, worried that it's not even going to work. Uh, that was, that and then was add on also. Oh, no, sorry. No, I was just going to say add on costs too. I mean, you, you literally have gone now over a year of like Medicaid cycles. So you're doing medicine, you have injections or the Clomid or, you know, you're already having to pay for all this medicine. And then now you're moving into IVF and I mean, IVF is not cheap. So Absolutely. add that in and just obviously the uncertainty of it all. Yes. And it's different for everyone. And it's also unfair too, you know, that, um, finances are, are a huge barrier for people that absolutely need yep. this, you know, to have this possibility because fertility treatment is often viewed as elective to insurance. Um, luckily I had good insurance coverage, which also moved us to move to IVF at that point, because we thought, okay, like we, ha we have the coverage to give this a shot. So why not? Yep. Um, so I, responded poorly as expected through that whole IVF cycle. And we got to retrieval day with the hope of retrieving two eggs. Um, wow. Yes. So we for knew people that like, don't know IVF, like retrieving two eggs would be basically the same time as trying to have sex two, for two months. Yes, pretty much. So with the IVF process, you're trying to hyper stimulate your ovaries to create all of these eggs because we all know we don't get pregnant off every egg every month or anything. Yeah. So you're knowing that you're going to kind of lose some to poor quality or not able to fertilize and all that and hope for a number at the end that could be possible transferable embryos. Um, and so knowing that we were starting with two and then hoping they would make it to that point was just 
I mean, I don't, I can't even describe the mental barrier there of, of just, we don't, I mean, we don't have any other choice than to try to be hopeful, (laughs) but how can I feel hopeful for that? And especially when you're comparing yourself to other people and everyone's different. So you really shouldn't do that, but you do. Yeah. Like I got 22 eggs and I'm like, screw you. (laughs) Yeah. So true. I mean, very happy for you, but I don't have the military <laughs> reserve and I only got nine. Yeah. I mean, go off fertile queen, but that is not me. <laughs> um, so yeah, we thought we were going to get two. We got one egg, um, from that time that first cycle. And so we knew the chances of that one egg fertilizing and then that one egg becoming an embryo and that one embryo making it to day three or day five and being a good quality embryo weren't super high. Um, But again, what choice at this point do I have but to be hopeful and, you know, hope that would just be our one and to our shock um, that one embryo did make it to day three. That's mind blowing to me. That is so mind blowing. I know. Um, and that also, also, do I need to start talking faster? Cause I know I'm. No, like, you're going good. I'm, I'm so invested. Let's go. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad. I had written this all out and I thought I was going to make this in an hour. No, <laughs> I'm listening. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so we get this one day three embryo and you know, part of the reason that we wanted to get to IVF was to, again, genetic test, lower risk, all these things. And we thought, well, we, this is just one. And I don't know if the risk of putting it through a biopsy and sending it off and waiting, you know, to come back and um, all those things are like, do we do that? Or do we just transfer or the conversation changed again, because, um, we just had one. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, there wasn't, you know, a group of them where you could say, okay, we send these all off and yeah. hopefully we have some to come back. And I think there was also just that fear of have ending up with absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we decided we wouldn't test the embryo and we were just going to give it a shot because that was, we, we felt like we didn't have any other choice. Yeah. And the idea of walking away with nothing was devastating. And then the idea of, you know, there's other costs involved with that too, of paying to have this embryo tested for it to come back and it be a no, you know, we thought that's an expense versus just transferring and seeing what happens. And if it doesn't work out, then it's not going to work out anyways. That was kind of where my brain was. Yeah, no, that's great. I think if I had an option to transfer fresh, I would have done the same thing just because gosh, you end up waiting. I mean, you're, you're adding two additional months on once you talk about PGT testing, if not more. Right. And that's so hard to figure out what the best decision is for you and that process too. I mean, because it's such a great and viable option and many people do it. And then you second guess yourself as the, am I making the wrong decision here in some way? You know, um, there's so many micro decisions that go into the IVF process that, I mean, it's exhausting. (laughs) Absolutely. Cause I know for us, like I was, I was kind of on the opposite side of it where I 
was like, okay, we only had two that we sent off for testing. And I was like, I didn't want to do the fresh because like, I was like, Mm -hmm. I can't go through another like miscarriage for me. That's like how my brain like went through it of like, I'd rather than wait the two weeks because then I, then my body didn't like necessarily go through it at that point. So I can see definitely, I think it's really interesting that people hear both sides too, that you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's really such a personal choice. A hundred percent. And I think I realized through this that that was, you know, the case that it's just not like a bread and butter thing and everybody's different. And you just have to, again, make the best choice that you can for yourself and, um, you know, for your potential family. So we, yes. So we transferred our day three embryo on May 29th of 2021. Um, and anybody that's been through the transfer process, no matter how it ended up, I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt that I was the most magical day ever. Um, oh, absolutely. It, <laughs> it, I don't know, it felt like we were, you know, meeting this little life at the very beginning and, and it, what a privilege it was to just be here at the start and to get to see that transfer and the little flicker on the screen and just have so much hope for this microscopic being. I don't know. I was just yeah, so just spazzing out the whole thing over that. <laughs> I mean, it's it just- so cool. Like science is just insane. It's amazing how we literally can be there while they're literally putting your baby inside of you. Like what? Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> I was so hopeful and they played music during it and it just, it just felt so warm and special and it, it just felt like a good day. Did Cody and, get to be and, part of and, it? Uh, yeah. So he was with okay. me too. They gave him the little scrubs and he sat next to me. And so we got to watch uh, our embryo be transferred together. And then they give you the little picture of the embryo. And as we have never had a picture of our two prior pregnancies, even on an ultrasound or seeing a heartbeat or anything, that embryo picture just felt so special. And like, we finally had something tangible to represent our baby. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then, you know, you go through your two week wait to see if the pregnancy implanted and, um, that you got pregnant and I got a positive pregnancy test um, kind of right or before that by blood draw time, we were again, excited, like with each one, but just really reserved and nervous, obviously given everything. And, um, we thought, okay, maybe this is it. Once again, here we were a third time, just hoping that this could be it. And you probably have a little bit, you probably have a little bit more hope because you're like, well, it's IVF. It was different. Mm -hmm. Yes. A hundred percent. This was different than the other two. This was a controlled environment. This was a specially picked embryo. This was a highly graded embryo. Like we saw everything through the whole process, whereas with the medicated cycles or, you know, with natural pregnancy, it it's all just in your body and you mean you don't know and so in that respect IVF gave us like this false sense of confidence because you're there's so many factors that you're aware of that it felt like control um and so we thought okay kind of like you said well 
this is IVF. So I think in the back of our minds, we thought that was going to be it. And um, my tests were not getting darker and they looked different than the first pregnancy. They were not getting as darker even as the second pregnancy, my ectopic pregnancy. And so we thought there's no way that this could, you know, be it. And, and that one felt similar to the previous loss in that we had about like one good day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that I didn't, we had, I don't think I knew this, Sarah, cause mine was the same. Like I, well, I haven't heard the rest of your story, but same thing. Like we started getting positives four days after the transfer. Yes, I, I'm a serial tester, so I didn't wait very long to start <laughs> testing. So then you have a few days of like, oh, is this just still medications in your system from the retrieval? Or, you know, maybe it's just taking a little bit of time to get darker, like all these things that we tell ourselves to kind of hold out hope for a little bit longer. Um, but unfortunately, my beta was really low on my first draw. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, 13, I think. Yeah, I think then, mine was um, like, mine was like 18 and they like, weren't even going to draw. They didn't end up drawing it again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then we went back in 48 hours. My tests were still light. And at this point, um, I, I was almost would be hoping that they wouldn't draw it again. You know, I remember telling Cody, like, this is a waste of time. We know exactly what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, and it had unfortunately just about gone back to negative by that point. And so that was um, our chemical pregnancy that we were experiencing, which was so weird because I guess I expected, you know, you, no one know, no one assumes IVF is a guarantee, but again, it's something that you put so much physical and mental work into that you expect some kind of payoff. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and we haven't even told the listeners. I mean, they probably know your story. We haven't even told them <laughs> your story yet. But it's like, I mean, IVF, come on. And then, like, for the outcome that you've had, it's just comical. Exactly. Um, again, like you just see it as like the big fertility treatment. And like, how did that pregnancy last less the time shortest. than the other two? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I mean, we were sad in a way, but at the same time, I think we were just kind of beaten down at that point that I, I really didn't have as much, if being honest, of an emotional response that time around, because I just felt like I couldn't muster it up anymore. Oh, I think sure. I told Cody at some point, um, I had told Cody at some point, like, I don't have the energy to grow more. Yeah. Which is not a, a healthy thought, but that's just where... So understandable. <laughs> I mean, going through what you went through in such a short amount of time too. I mean, a loss after a loss, like that will beat mm -hmm. you down. So, I mean, anything you're feeling is completely understandable. And in such different ways and such different losses, it, it just made me feel like I was just dealt like the worst body in the entire world that cannot host mm -hmm. a pregnancy at all, um, that we had experienced different losses and through different treatments that I yeah. felt like, well, what is even going to work for, like, is nothing going to work? You know, so at this point where you like, I'm done with IVF, screw it. Um, at this point we kind of, again, had to regroup. Um, and I had room in my insurance money for one more retrieval cycle. And a lot of people too, that have had 
done multiple rounds. VF may have um, heard this before, but if you're someone that you know doesn't get lucky on the first go round and you're looking down multiple retrievals or rounds, um, a lot of times they'll tell you the first round is hypnotic. Like the first round, we, we get an idea of how you respond. Um, but this helps us with information going forward if that's what you we can change the protocol up we know that this first that what we did the first time just wasn't the best cocktail for you and we know that you're just not someone that's going to make a lot of eggs from IVF to begin with um with the low AMH you know producing one a month in a natural cycle or a medicated cycle sure but not multiple in IVF. So we know all these things and we can take this information and maybe have a better luck with the next one. And so we thought we went back and forth about it. And um, because we were so beaten down from the way the first one went. And ultimately we thought that we were going to regret it if we didn't at least try. Yeah. Um, Especially if we, since we had the insurance coverage on the table there, um, that we just, we had the opportunity to try. And I felt at this point, we just didn't know what was going on. And we knew we had the egg reserve working against us, but then you're drawing all these other conclusions about, well, maybe my egg quality is bad. You know, I'm not getting any younger. Let's just, let's just move forward and do this next one and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so we signed up for one last egg retrieval cycle, knowing that it would be the last either way, because that was all that I had through my insurance. And we had already made the decision like that we were not willing to bankrupt ourselves over this. Yeah. Emotionally, physically, financially, time, all of it. Oh, a thousand percent. Um, it was so daunting going into that cycle. I cried a lot through my birth control that I started out with um, just because we were so exhausted and mentally given the way that everything turned out the first time and knowing the way my body responds, we had no reason to believe that this was not going to be anything other than a lot of physical and emotional work for no, you know, reward at the end. Yeah. But between all the different kinds of losses and all of the different treatments and the way that things had just panned out for us so far, we had gotten to a point of feeling like this could be like, this perhaps could be our only option. And what, what if our baby's in this next cycle? Like yeah, we just absolutely. have to, we have to try. Mm -hmm. um, so we, expectations were on the floor, <laughs> but we actually had a better response with the second cycle. And so we kind of started to perk up a little bit um, and were motivated and we thought, okay, maybe we are doing this for something, you know, maybe this is it. Um, I had had like six eggs, I think that they were seeing on monitoring. So that it was way better. Um, and we had some renewed hope and we get to retrieval day again. And I just thought like, please, can we just get more than one? Cause I, I that Wait, would just feel like more <laughs> bars on the floor. <laughs> yes. Just, I just don't want to go through the same song and dance. You know, if it feels different then I, I it can be different in my mind if we yeah, have yeah. a different number of eggs. And so, um, 
I'm like in recovery. And the first thing I see is um, Cody when I woke up and um, he told me that we had gotten five. Oh, that's that exciting. Awesome. <laughs> and I was so excited. I thought that I had won the lottery. This like, <laughs> he could have told me, he basically told me we got 5,000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you think, okay, I've got a little bit more here in the basket. And yep. If naturally some don't make it along the way, there, we have to end up with at least just one. Like we just have something like it's got to be in here, in here with these five. Um, so make it to day three. And I'm going through those days really quickly, but anyone that's done IVF two knows that every single one of those days moves at the pace of glacial passing. I mean, mm-hmm. So waiting for those, <laughs> waiting for those phone calls for how many embryos made it to this day and how many embryos made it to the next day. I, I felt like I was in a constant panic attack um, because the stakes felt so high given that there, there were fives, there was more, but it was five. Yeah. Um, it was your last tr- shot. And it was the last shot and it felt like everything was riding on these five embryos to get it together. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much pressure on it. Um, So at three days, we had three embryos and we're so excited. Um, However, they did tell us that two of them just didn't look like they were progressing along the same, you know, plane as the one really high quality one. And they weren't sure if they were gonna make it to day five. but we still just continued to hold out some hope and we get to day five. We had decided since there was multiple, we wanted to pick the best one, but we would do a day five transfer, the fresh transfer this time, um, just to make sure that we got, you know, the best quality embryo that would hopefully give us the best possible chance. Um, And by day five, we did have the one viable embryo that was really good quality and, the embryologist told us that it was a beautiful looking embryo. <laughs> and then the other two, unfortunately, um, one had completely stopped growing and one was very, very low quality that they said it wasn't even going to be possible to freeze. Um, so our two IVF cycles ended it with exactly one embryo each time, nothing in the freezer for us. Um, and we transferred our embryo uh, with I mean, I I thought my expectations couldn't get any lower than they had up to this point, but I mean, we were just like, let's just put this in here and see what happens. Yeah, and forget <laughs> about it almost. You're like, I gotta just just move. <laughs> yes, I mean, we were just on cruise control and had no, you know, hopeful that this would be it. It this had to be it. It was the second. It was the last cycle. We weren't. And so that's kind of how, how we thought in our minds. Uh, and we got to the end of that transfer cycle. And unfortunately, I never had a positive pregnancy test at all um, from that embryo. So it's just Which, like. <laughs> what? I mean, I've, it was just a giant WTF of all all the things where where do we go from here do we go anywhere from here I think we were honest at this point so sick of asking ourselves these questions too and what month is this because this is just last year what is this like midsummer that was July of 2021 that whole retrieval cycle and that transfer um 
I think that transfer was July 27th. So um, it, the whole summer was spent on IVF pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we just didn't know, we knew we weren't doing IVF anymore for us. Um, and I, there's a lot of different ways you can go with low AMH too. And so I think we were just at that point of contemplating where, what this meant for us or where we wanted to go next. You know, there's a thousand ways as a family. And when you're met with some of these obstacles, you kind of start to decide how you feel about, you know, um, pursuing this in another way. Um, adoption, you know, donor, those are things that we had kind of come up, you know, con contemplated how will we feel about this. Um, or nothing at all. I think that um, people kind of had this expectation of like, you just, you keep going until you get what you want, you yeah. know, and that that is the answer for everyone. Um, but we were at a point of just, I just don't know mentally if I can open myself up to any other type of heartbreak um, because people not dealing with these issues like to assume that, other ways to build a family are a guarantee and they're absolutely not <laughs> um, yeah with you know the same potential for heartbreak and uh we felt you know we had two poor rounds of IVF and with the response that my body was giving us it did not make sense to continue to pursue we didn't have the money to continue there was no indication to us that that would be our right decision mm -hmm. and so we here we were circling back around <laughs> to medicated cycles again because we were at an impasse of are we ready to stop or take a break indefinitely we didn't have a yes or no answer there but um we at least thought let's turn back to the original problem like this has all been such a mess yeah, and muddied by so many different um, losses and treatments and <laughs> devastating news that let's come back to basics. The problem is you don't, you know, ovulate. And we felt we had two pregnancies on medicated cycles, but we're just done with this being any more clinical than that. So let's give ourselves a chance to ovulate again. Um, but maybe if we get to the end of the year and we're ready to just take a break or an indefinite break, we didn't know, then that'll be okay. Um, but we didn't want it to be any more than that at all. So we, we had enough gas in the tank to say, let's just, let's just give medicated cycles a shot again for a little bit, but not enough to, you know, fully call it quits or anything, if that makes sense. Talk about full circle. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I felt like we had just way, not wasted, but, you know, spent six, seven months on something to end up in the same exact predicament that we were in at the beginning of all of this. Yeah. Okay. So now we're in August and what happened? <laughs> um, so we're in August, um, we had done a little bit of more testing just to rule out, you know, any genetic issues because we never got to the point of genetic testing our embryos and neither of us had done like karyotyping to make sure that we didn't have some kind of genetic issue, which was why we kept having losses. Um, and 
my doctor didn't really push us one way or another to get anything done, but we just wanted to know for ourselves and our own peace of mind as we were embarking on going back to, you know, essentially, um, truly with the help of Clomid and one tube that there wasn't some other thing that was going to come up down the road that we were going to have to deal with and worry with, you know, um, and all that came back normal for both of us, that there was no, you know, genetic issue kind of at play there. And so that gave us enough peace to keep on moving. Um, and then I also had recurrent pregnancy loss testing done um, just to rule that out as well for any like possible blood disorders or anything, which was when they figured out that I was having a clotting issue that is correlated with miscarriage. <laughs> wow. That was the very first test they ran on me, which is so crazy. It's so different for everyone too. And um, my doctor kind of pushed for it just to give us peace of mind. But she also said, you know, your ectopic is, was a pregnancy not in the correct location. Like, yeah that's not going to count as the, the three losses that they say you have to have before they want to do RPL testing and all that boggles my mind because I'm like so we have to put people through this three times before we work all this stuff up um yeah. <laughs> doesn't make sense to me uh and so they found this plotting issue that I have or they thought that I might have and so I'm getting like worked up for this in the midst of everything too um, that's correlated with miscarriages and they just said if you get a positive pregnancy test you know um, ongoing before we've definitely figured out if you have this problem or not then we'll just do blood thinners just to be safe uh, but we don't know for sure and I'm sitting here thinking yeah right like that's not gonna happen <laughs> because it's like a daily stomach injection yes yeah so we started medicated cycles back again and we started to kind of it felt like we were starting to kind of take our life back after IVF and everything and that was at the point too that I realized that um you know there there was a lot to unpack here um I started seeing a therapist after the second IVF cycle which was immensely helpful for me like I said we were just on autopilot for most of the year and so um, by the time we got to the end of IVF and like slowed down and took a second to take in the sheer amount of trauma that we had been through in such a short amount of time, it wasn't unsurprising that, you know, we were having a hard time with this, but it, it's like my brain caught up to my body all of a mm -hmm. sudden. <laughs> I don't think mine's still there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, like I was cruising for a bruise on and just didn't realize it or something. Um, so I'd started seeing a therapist during that time we start our medicated cycles again. And, um, it, you know, felt like slipping back into an old routine. We were familiar first one didn't get pregnant. Um, but we, you know, we had taken a trip to Canada together. We had been to New York. We were moving around more and kind of just trying to get back to like old routines and because I mean with IVF you're essentially just locked down because you're at the doctor oh yeah like every day yeah and so um we were just reveling in the fact that we could 
live our lives a little bit more again and feel that balance between yes this would this you know this is our goal we want this to happen but this isn't everything that we're about and I'm not going to gain all of my worth from this I can't live like this um so then we had our second medicated cycle after IVF which um if you're keeping count this would be number seven in total Wow, (laughs) and this one was very different from the first six in that I did not produce a follicle at all. Um, we got to the end of like our ultrasound monitoring where you would go in and they'd give you your ovulation, your ovidrill to trigger your ovulation and all that. And I mean, medicated cycles just felt like a done deal could be caused every month. I at least made a follicle. We at least ovulated. We at least had a chance. And this was the one I had went to my ultrasound. I had zero follicles on like cycle day 14 and I had one big ass cyst on my left ovary. Oh my gosh. That felt like it was giving us the proverbial middle finger. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we just thought, okay, so now like I, I went into a tailspin. I had said my body's shutting down. This is done. (laughs) Um, at that point it's like are you kidding me there's no way this can be another thing like yes I mean it's like ridiculous at that point yeah um it was I think you said this earlier Catherine and I know I've like nervously laughed when saying some of this stuff throughout the whole podcast but it I'm not cavalier but at this point I thought this is just funny like oh yeah oh absolutely (laughs) This is comical. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, some, I should sell this to Netflix. Like right. this is an actual joke. <laughs> um, there's, say, just kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, there's no possible way that like every possible thing in every different way that could go wrong has gone wrong. That is how that felt. And so um, we gave it another week and I went back and had another ultrasound because my doctor was like, maybe he's just taking your body some time to respond to the climate this month and still had nothing, just that cyst. Uh, and so she said, you know, maybe you're starting to build up with tolerance and we can just increase the dose on the next cycle. But I don't, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. And this is, this is just going to be it for the cycle. Let's give your body a break. <laughs> And, um, at this point, just plenty of people can have off cycles with medicated cycles. You know, like I said, a failed cycle is just not ovulating. It's not getting pregnant. And I knew all of that, but it, it felt like it was the one dependable thing in all of this dumpster fire that was the last year and a half was I take Clomid and I ovulate and that's it. And this time I didn't even grow like a a viable follicle that could hopefully turn into an egg. And like I said, it just felt like my body was shutting down. (laughs) Um, And so we thought, well, I guess we'll just wait it out for the next cycle to start and we'll go up on the medicine and we'll just, again, what can we do? We'll just see what happens. Um, I picked myself up off the floor after all of that and, you know, it felt like the future was getting more and more cloudy. Like, where is this going? Um, And because up to that point, we had only gotten more devastating news that felt like each 
time was narrowing our chances it just it felt like things were closing in or something mm -hmm. um a month goes by and my period had not come back and um i thought that it was just, just clearly we were having an off cycle because uh i had this cyst and no growth and i i thought my body was going completely haywire um and so like at this point it had been weeks since the clomid you know and we had had these bad ultrasounds told there was nothing there um and i was just at a point of like what is going on in my body <laughs> uh and so i took an ovulation predictor kit dusted off the old ovulation predictor kit <laughs> that it might give me an indication of like where things are at because my period had never been this late before. And the ovulation predictor kit was a blazing positive. You're like, wait, um, what? I just happened to get it the same yeah, day. Right? <laughs> um, and I looked at it and it kind of a call back to our ectopic pregnancy test. I called Cody in the bedroom and was like, look at this and just shoved it in his face yeah and i mean at this point he's a vet yeah. did you have any pregnancy tests in the house uh no just this one and so he was like well i guess we'll just give this a shot then right and i'm like i mean i guess i don't know what to think of this you know at this point i'm like it, my body is lies everything is lies nothing's yeah, real right <laughs> it cannot be trusted we're <laughs> we're, we're yes yeah, so this is a simulation we're in a vortex but okay so we did that and a couple weeks later again my period is still not shown up i was on a work call an inter interview for um work like a group zoom interview interviewing someone in the middle like that's just the most nonchalant removed from this situation i have ever felt uh in the midst of that i just decided to take a pregnancy test thinking like what's happening with my body and it was positive <laughs> That's oh so my goodness. Uh, and I just like didn't even say anything. I just hung up the Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah. Um, you know, just not even sure what to think. Cody wasn't even at home. He was at a work meeting and I I was just sitting there like, what the F is this? And I think when I got it home and showed it to him, he verbatim said that what yeah. the f is this? <laughs> i'm sure that after all is. of that yes um so long story short that pregnancy at least to this point became our rainbow um I, that has been a journey but i am 20 weeks today oh my goodness wow. that is amazing congratulations Thank you. It's hard to wrap my head around that Pat, these past few months where the whole thing has been emotional with flash, but that in of itself, when we saw, got our heartbeat scan, my RE jokingly said to us like, see, you didn't even need us, that this had just kind of happened. Yep. And we laughed about it, but then it just makes you think like, what was the last year? Yeah. Like, or, was or this more? Yeah. Was this real? And I, I think really just the whole thing that I come down to when I think through it, because um, every story is different. And uh, 
I had a lot of guilt there for a while that this was the way this ended up for me after all of this, you know, still struggling. Um, but, you know, and then you go down a rabbit hole of, well, should we have even done IVF or did we need this in the first place or what, like, why, why, you know, why, I can't even say anything else, but why, but I really think no matter what, like, in the way that I've tried to view every treatment as a new horizon, every cycle, every fertility treatment, every embryo from each fertility treatment is just, or lack of random natural pregnancy that you have after this complete mess of a year. (laughs) Um, But every embryo is a chance, no matter how you get it. And so I know, I know somebody asked this on Instagram because they follow you. So they knew that you were pregnant, but, um, I, I think the answer is probably not much, but they said, what did you do differently during this pregnancy? Which I don't know, you know, if they were even aware that this is how it happened. Um, yeah. with the Lovenox for the blood thinning, is this the very first pregnancy you had tried that with? They, um, gave it to me with my sex. IVF transfer okay. just okay. just to, as a everything but the kitchen sink type thing oh, yeah. um, which also made that so that was my chemical no that was my completely okay. negative test yeah um, that made that harder because I felt like we had tried everything we possibly could and I didn't even get a positive out of that but um, immediately after my second beta with this pregnancy we started daily Lovenox I have been on daily Lovenox since October, my stomach looks like a beater car, but uh, this is the furthest I ever made it in a pregnancy. Yeah. And um, I don't need, I don't know what to think, you know, and I think people ask the question of like what you did differently, um, you know, just to like, what's the secret sauce or something. And I have no explanation for what has happened to me at all. And everybody's different. I think you're the perfect (laughs) example of that question is so innocent and and well-meaning and they want to just copy it. But like, everybody's so different. I mean, we could look at Mm -hmm. all the people that got pregnant when they PGT tested or did an ERA or did the this or that. But like, in your instance, you had a failed medicated cycle on your seventh try after everything in the world and you ended up pregnant and that that was that it was that's your baby that's meant to be your baby and I know I mean I can just speak from experience like how insane it probably is for you to even just say I'm 20 weeks pregnant yes I don't I don't I feel like an imposter (laughs) for sure I understand that There is someone that um, messaged in and they want to, um, to know how you manage like pregnancy after loss anxiety. I know that's like a huge thing that that, like I went through for sure. So um, this person is hoping to be pregnant again soon. And so they're just wanting to know what, how you like manage your anxiety with after loss. Um, Not well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Me too. I didn't do it well. I mean... (laughs) Um, okay. So (laughs) early throughout the whole thing uh, to this point, I have just had to take things day by day because that is all that I can do. And I am bad about 
moving the goalpost to the next milestone and then not feeling happy when I get there or like, at least in my experience and to the point that I'm at, I have not gotten to a point that I feel 100% safe or that I feel 100% blissful and ready to celebrate and be excited. And I went through this really weird period of knowing that I had to try to move on from my infertility journey in some way to have some semblance of sanity. Um, And that follows you, but to find a new normal, I don't want to say forget the past, but you know, to find a way to be hopeful when the only past experience that I've had to draw on is has ended in very, you know, undesirable circumstances. Um, and I felt I did not connect with people that other people that were pregnant that hadn't gone through a struggle or hadn't gone through loss. I felt very awkward. Um, talking about my pregnancy I still feel awkward talking about my pregnancy but it's getting easier Um, but I just had to each day be like today I am pregnant and that is all that I could do Um, that was like the biggest thing that I had to keep telling myself every single day was I literally did the same exact thing I woke up and I was like okay today Amanda, you're pregnant and we're going to like enjoy and celebrate today that I'm pregnant. We don't know what tomorrow will hold, but today is a celebration of that. Yes, that was all I could do. And um, I tried to hang on to that. I tried to hang on to every good ultrasound and good experience, which was not, you know, we felt like we were cheating death or something with every appointment that went well because that had never happened before like okay the next one's gonna be the bad one yeah the next one is gonna be the bad one and so I really had to try to frame in my mind this is not the same experience that I've had three times before this like you are way past the point that you have made it with the longest that you've been pregnant this Mm -hmm. this is not the same baby like this is not the same experience and I mean I I literally had to like uh chant that to myself because drill it into your head yeah Yeah. oh my gosh (laughs) go ahead it 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 just it can feel so debilitating and I don't say that to scare anybody um but and it gets easier with time um and I was under no you know impression that this was going to be easy for me. Like I knew that I was just going to feel different. Um, and so I just allowed myself the grace to be like, I am different than other people. This is a different experience than other people. And that is okay. It is okay. If I don't want to share like real time about my pregnancy, or I don't want to tell people how far along I am, because that gives me this fear that I'm going to have to take that news back or, you know, what will people think or it's it's going to look embarrassing if you share so much and then you have to retract good news again um so it's just a fine balance of protecting your heart and celebrating in the moment that's a long-winded way to say that oh i love that so much i feel like we could probably talk for another hour um but i know (laughs) (laughs) but will you i you do such a good job and i like what you said like not feeling obligated to share share real time and um we just the episode we released monday same thing i think she was like just not just she was like 12 weeks pregnant and her too she completely like kind of shut down her social media account and was like i'm not comfortable sharing any of this good news i was i was great sharing all my losses 
is, but I need to do this on my time. Could you link your, just real quick, uh, your Instagram and your TikTok so listeners can go find you? Absolutely. So uh, my handle is Sarah with an H Rogers Johnson, um, wherever you consume your social media. So the same thing on Instagram as it is on TikTok. Um, I like to share fertility. I like to share pregnancy after loss and a little bit of everything in between because I'm, I'm still trying to strike that balance for myself. So I, I try to be really cognizant about not just talking about one thing. (laughs) I love it. And we'll share that written out to you in the show notes. But um, thank you so much, Sarah. This was incredible. I absolutely loved hearing.